Hi, I'm Jackie Tantillo, and this is Should Have Listened to My Mother. Here we are in Season 4 of Should Have Listened to My Mother, as I'm working my way toward 200 interviews, where my guests open up about their relationship or lack thereof with their mother or significant maternal figure. I'm filled with awe each week when hearing these personal stories and the impact they've had on my guests' lives. There are wonderful, jubilant stories, moms on pedestals, as well as stories of pain and suffering. Yet I'm continuously taken back by the survivors of this world, some thrown to the wolves at a young age and still here to tell us about it with a shrug and a smile. Often, as a child, one does not truly grasp all that motherhood encompasses. For some, realization may come too late. Others, perhaps more fortunate, have had the opportunity to get to know their mothers as an authentic individual with unique emotions, passions, and interests, in addition to caring for the family. Kate Moses is an author and a mother. She's written many award-winning books and essays, many on this topic encompassing the struggles of motherhood or muse. Again, we don't always immediately recognize the gifts of our mother. Yet at times, children can get caught in a push-pull relationship when sometimes they want to run, yet feel the need to protect show passion when least likely inclined to, and acknowledge that mother's initial intentions didn't always work out the way they were supposed to. Kate Moses, it's a pleasure to have you on Should Have Listened to My Mother. Oh, thank you so much, Jackie. I'm really, really thrilled to be on the show. You have, and we talked about this a a minute ago before we started the actual interview, you have been writing about motherhood and moms for many, many years. You were way ahead of the curve with with Salon.com and your books, which are brilliant, from 99 and 2005 the, that you edited with Camille mm-hmm. Perry, Because I Said So, yes. and Mothers Who Think. And those are just two great books of the list of many that you've written, the essays that you were involved with that I mentioned to you, I stayed up for many hours in the middle of the night laughing and crying. They were so touching. I'd like you to explain to my listeners why this topic of motherhood is something that you are so passionate about. Oh, sure. Um, You know, honestly, I didn't know for the longest (laughs) time. I just knew it was the topic that I was compelled toward. And in fact, the first published story, short story that I wrote, at, um, uh, I was lucky to get it published. And it was about motherhood and ambivalence about it. And uh, it, it, that just from then on, it just seemed like the subject that didn't go away. The more I wrote about it, the more I was uncovering. It wasn't something that I figured out and then said, okay, now I can go and write about elephants. It was something that really drove me. And it was after I had written four books, the two anthologies that I co-edited with Camille and then a novel and a memoir that I realized, hmm, this is interesting. All of these books are about essentially why women have such 
a hard time expressing their creativity and finding room for their inner life. And I keep doing it. And why is that? And it finally dawned on me that that was my mother, that I had grown up with uh, a mother who had, as a young woman, wanted to be an artist. And she was pretty well thwarted at every turn. She used to tell the story that at her Catholic girls' school, she would make a drawing when she was really supposed to be doing something else, of course. And um, the nuns would see her drawings and say, Kathleen Hills, you must have copied that and throw it away. And um, that was the thing that she really wanted to do. And at the point of being engaged to my father, um, a few days before the wedding, I guess it must have been maybe the day before the wedding, she was getting some part of her trousseau hemmed by her mother. She was standing up on a chair and she started pleading with her mother to please let her get out of the wedding. Please just buy her a ticket to go somewhere like Paris so that she could be a, a, be an artist. And my grandmother said something like, don't be silly. The caterers are already cooking the food. Mm, and wow. what an opportunity to change your daughter's life, huh? Yes. And what's amazing is that my mother had told me for years about that incident and about other times when she was trying to make art and was turned away from it in one way or another. And so my grandmother came for my high school graduation. And the night of my graduation, I came upstairs and I heard my mother crying and my grandmother crying. And they were talking for the first time about that moment in the day before my mom's wedding. They'd never talked about it. And my parents by this time were in the process of getting a divorce and they'd been unhappy for years. And my grandmother was apologizing to my mother saying, I'm so sorry. If I'd known you were serious, I never would have made you go through with it. Oh, boy. How old is your mom when she got married? Let's go back a little bit so we get an understanding of who your mom was. She was 19 when she got married. And she grew up in Northern California? Yes, she was very proud of the fact that she must have been the sixth generation of her family on the maternal side who was born in San Francisco. And I was the seventh and my daughter was the eighth. And my my daughter, my mother, myself, and my grandmother were all born in the same hospital. That's very impressive. That's pretty good lineage. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you have a plaque. <laughs> It's funny, when my daughter was born, my husband went into the um, hospital office to pay whatever he was supposed to pay or sign paperwork or something. And he tried to make a deal with them. <laughs> they should give us a big discount. Absolutely. <laughs> so what kind of a teenage, your mom grew up in Northern California. Did she have a good relationship with her mom, with your maternal grandmother? Or was she rambunctious? What was her personality like? 
My mother was the one who was the wild child in the family. And I don't even think that means very much. I think she stood on the toilet in the bathroom at the high school at um, Sacred Heart High School and smoked a cigarette. And <laughs> she it was there was a pretty low standard of wild at that point. Um, you know, she was a, a good Catholic daughter and uh, but she was always incredibly vivacious and curious and uh, enthusiastic. And so um, she was one of those people that, and she was also incredibly beautiful. And she was always the person you turned and looked at when she walked in the room. And she would be, you know, telling stories and she was hilarious and um, animated. And I, my aunts and uncle were also um, funny and vivacious, but my mom really seemed to have an extra spark. What was it that drew her to your father? Did she not even fall in love with him or she thought she was in love with him or it was arranged? Well, you know, I think it was that my father seemed really exotic to her. He was born in Japan. Um, uh, and then after World War II broke out, the family moved to Australia. And then he came to the United States to go to university. And when she met him, he still had an accent. And um, he'd gone to boarding school and he'd been all over the world. And uh, she just thought, well, he's just the kind of person who would want a bohemian artist wife. But um, she didn't decide that until after he asked her out. And she said, well, I can't go out with you because you're not Catholic. <laughs> and he converted. <gasps> wow. So, Impressive. So the joke yeah, I know, exactly. <laughs> so the joke she always told was, well, he converted, so I had to marry him. Um, but that, I think, was, you know, in their younger, in the earlier years of their marriage, it was funny. But later, I think, I certainly learned that there was a part of it that she felt trapped. She felt that she had to fulfill the social obligations of a young woman in the 1950s. She needed to get married. She had to conform, maybe? Yes, exactly. She had to conform. And so her way of uh, expressing herself cre creatively was learning how to reupholster our furniture and making all of my clothes and making all of the presents for all of the little children for in our family for Christmas and going way out on um, things like Christmas. And she would sprinkle powdered sugar on the floor to make it look like Santa had come with snow on his boots. And her creativity was mostly 
confined to her life as a mother. Was she a fine artist or what was her what was she passionate about creating? Well, she was she loved to paint and draw. She would try anything. And she also um I remember when I was must have been kindergarten, she took a ceramics class and she loved it clearly. But you know, my brothers and I just felt like, well, why aren't you here with us? Why aren't you here fishing for tadpoles with us or making funny hats for us or telling us wild, scary stories? And, you know, I think back on that and think, oh, God, I, we put so much pressure on her to be mother 100% of the time and didn't really understand then that there was something else burning in her, too. That's probably the most frustrating thing for mom, right? That her children only see her as their mom. It's her number one job, her number one priority is the children, not that she has something else that she would really like to to do creatively. Yeah. Right. I can understand the frustration because I have two children as well. When you like, I got to get something done that I want to (laughs) do. You know, the old chant. I know. It's really hard. It really is hard, and um, it's one of the things I figured out about being a writer of fiction in particular, that your characters and your children want the same thing from you and need the same thing from you. They need your full, complete attention, your, your complete devotion of, you know, mind and imagination and heart. And I remember there was a point when I was closing in on the end of writing one of my books and my daughter was a preschooler at the time and she would stand outside my little tiny closet-sized office and yell down to her brother and her dad, mama's behind the door again. Oh, she was pining for you. Well, Mama was working, but for her, it meant I was closing myself off from her. And in fact, in a way, I was. You know, being a mother teaches you so much about your own mother. And that that experience of trying to juggle motherhood and having an inner life and wanting to be an artist is something that I definitely came to, you know, I I had to come to grips with it. And if you get the answer, <laughs> make sure you let me know, because I'll share it with my, my I listeners. Many people want to know. <laughs> I wanted to talk to you about Cakewalk. The first time I heard you reading an excerpt from one of your books, you were talking about your mom driving you guys cross country, the, the two dogs, the three cats and the three kids or something in the station wagon and yes. trying to outdrive a tornado. And I yes. almost fell out of my chair. <laughs> Could you just tell us a little bit about that story? Because it's brilliant, because I know we have a lot more to, to cover. Oh, sure. Well, that's a great example of how my mom could be, uh, you know, like the Pied Piper or like the tour guide at Disneyland holding the little flag. She was really good at getting 
her three ducklings waddling behind her. And so my dad had taken a job across the country and we were moving from California to Pennsylvania. And she was going to have to drive three small children under the age of eight and two dogs and three cats, one of whom was pregnant and about to have kittens any day. So she made this sort of playroom in the back of our uh, station wagon. There wasn't that much room, but she made it as fun as she could because she knew she was going to have to be occupied. And then every single day of the trip, there was another disaster. The first day, it was a flash flood. The second day, it was a sands, no, a salt storm um, in Utah that took all of the paint off our car. And another day, there was a, a truck full of pigs that... Uh, fell over and the pigs were running all around on the road. And then <laughs> oh we were driving through Kansas. Um, there was a tornado announced. And at first we were driving just like, you know, one side of the road was going east and one side of the road was going west. And after they announced the tornado and where it was, and we could see how black the sky was behind us, and, you know, the storm behind us, suddenly everyone who was going west turned around and everyone was driving east to get out of the path of this tornado. And so my mom said, all right, to one brother, you're going to take one dog and I was going to take one dog. And my little brother just needed to hold her hand and she would take the cats and and if she told us to, we would get out of the car and crawl under it with our charges, but wait until she told us to. And meanwhile, my brothers were saying, mommy, 95, that's fast, isn't it? A hundred, that's fast, <laughs> isn't it? And she was completely freaking out, but acting like, oh, this was another great adventure. Yes, it is, boys. It's really fast. So the the funniest thing about that story, though, is that after, you know, yet more adventures every day, we were about half an hour away from our aunt and uncle's house in Ohio, where she was going to deposit us and then drive on to meet my dad to go house hunting. And we were all hungry. And we loved McDonald's and there was a McDonald's. So she had us get our our treats at the drive-through window. And I was sitting right behind her at that point. And I had a strawberry milkshake. And before I even took a sip, she said, she turned around and said, Don't you dare take the top off of that milkshake. I know what you're gonna do. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> Leave the top on. Because I liked to take the top off. <laughs> so mm. <laughs> so I, held, I held that top on for as long as I could possibly stand it. And then I thought, well, she won't know if I just pull it up a little bit and sip out of it. And that's when the whole thing exploded down her back, <laughs> over her head, 
and she was wearing a strawberry milkshake. And that was when she had had enough. And um, we got my aunt and uncles a, a little while later, you know, minutes later, really. She'd almost made it to the end. Oh, <laughs> and my gosh. Shoot us inside while my mom stood on the driveway with the hose, hosing herself off and saying words that we never heard before. <laughs> wow, the straw that broke the mama's back. <laughs> That's exactly. Oh my it. gosh. I remember hearing that story for the first time, and I just, it was absolutely brilliant. And I remember you telling me that the seats were all flat in the back, so it was just like one big play yeah. area with games and everything. Yes, and we were rolling around because that was before anyone thought that we needed to wear seatbelts. Right, especially when trying to avoid a tornado at 100 miles an hour. Right. Wow. Right. We were all just in the car. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Years go by, and we all get wiser and older. And you had a somewhat good relationship with your mom, or did you have to part ways for a while? Well, we actually, um, as I got older, my mom had always encouraged us to be, you know, encouraged our imaginations and read to us and gave us books and um, art supplies and and made our amazing costumes for Halloween. And I wanted to be a writer and she was incredibly encouraging. But I think what happened is that as my parents' marriage broke down um, and she was more and more confined to the role of being a wife and a mother and taking care of other people, I think it really ended up becoming a tension between us that I wanted to be a writer and I was determined to do it. And um, it became really hard between us. I think uh, there was a lot of disappointment that she felt that she didn't know how to express. And I felt that I was being, you know, sort of strangled. And um, in my own desire to become an artist. And so there were some really tough years Um, really, really tough years. Some years when we didn't speak at all, that I just held her at arm's length. Did she kind of rely on you as her sidekick, like girls banding together? Oh, yeah. That, I think, was the hardest part, was because we had been, we both would say we were best friends. And that became really suffocating for me. I think maybe she was encouraging me to live a life that she hadn't gotten to live. And when I started doing it, it was too painful. And she hadn't, she hadn't anticipated that it would be painful to see me um, striving for the things that she never got to be. And, um, and that was what broke our friendship and and our mother-daughter relationship too. And um, it ended up being incredibly ironic that years later I um, had sold the idea for a book of essays on, on the bittersweetness of life. And 
had written a story. Yeah, I think my editor had seen the story about um, my mom's out running the tornado and some other things I'd written about her, some really funny stories about her and, and said, well, we'd really love it if you would write more about your mom. And I said, sure, of course I will. And then I started thinking about it and realizing how painful it would be. To write the truth of what was, it wasn't always just the fun. Yes. And I didn't want to do it. And I really kind of dragged myself kicking and screaming to write this book that was really painful and that I knew would be painful for her. And in the end, what happened was unexpectedly, but I think that's what happens when you try to make art is you learn something about yourself that you didn't know. And I found out that I had not recognized my mother's situation and I had not offered her any kind of compassion. And, you know, as a kid, you can excuse a a child or a teenager or even a young adult not having that perspective. But as a grown woman and as a mother, I realized that she'd been in a really difficult position. And that unexpectedly ended up being the way that we started repairing our relationship. And um, I was really proud to be able to talk about my mother and how talented she was in so many ways. And at readings, other women would come up to me and say, that happened to my mother too. And now I have to think about that and how I feel about her. And maybe I've been too hard on her. And it was really wonderful to get to rediscover my mother and all of the incredible richness of her personality and how truly kind and generous and curious and exuberant she was, um, which I got to do for another 12 years. Which is really very fortunate for you. And as I mentioned in my intro, not many people are able to have that opportunity. I know you mentioned your mom passed in December of 22. Yeah. It's an awakening, isn't it? Both of my parents are gone, and all of a sudden, you're both wise, and yet you revert to being a child again. But you, you feel that she is very close, and she died on a very special day. Yeah, she died on Christmas, which was always her favorite day of the year. She loved holidays, and she made the most fantastic um, uh, extravaganzas for Easter and Halloween and Christmas, and especially Christmas. And she had Victorian ornaments that had been on her father's tree at the turn of the century. These things that if you blow on them, they'll break. And every year she would take them out of, you know, excelsior and cotton wool and explain to us again, this is Pa's ornament from when he was born. And he was, you know, I think born in something like 1902. And, um, and she would decorate the whole house and you know as soon as as soon as it was possible to do so in december um and and she would always 
keep Christmas going until January 6th, um, the Feast of the Epiphany, and call it Little Christmas. And she would always give us one special present on January 6th because she said, it's more special to just get one. And um, it, it, I actually think in the end that she may have had some, some decision in, in leaving us on that day. And for me, it's really, uh, it's actually doesn't make me sad to think that, you know, spending Christmas next year without her because it'll be an opportunity to think about how really special she was and how, what an artist of life she was. I would think of it as her birthday, her new new birth beginning, yes. which is really makes me smile. But I'm so glad that you have that positive attitude toward it, because that could be a, make it even harder for some people. Yeah, I think that that's my mom was always able to find the silver lining in everything, even when nobody else could see it. <laughs> I think it's great because now she gets the attention on this big Christmas day, too. You know, you can't not talk about her. So it's kind of a win-win. She's actually put her on the scale of Christmas. It's Christmas now. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Kate Moses, your website, birdsandmuses.com and katemoses.com, where you can get more information. And she's also on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you, Kate Moses. Wonderful having you on the show. Thank you so much. This is really, really a pleasure. Thank you so much for me and my mom. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Should Have Listened to My Mother. Listen to my mother.